You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. We stand, um, and then we're going to read the scripture that we got before us today. We're in Matthew. Please rise. Please rise if you're able. Uh, We're going to read the scripture to get us started here in the gathering. Welcome again. Uh, to the shore. Uh, thank you for putting up with, with us as we send uh, loved ones away uh, from us. But we're going to be reading Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35 this morning. It's on the screen to follow along, or if you have your Bibles, please open it up to that passage. Let's read it together. <clears throat> it says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, this to some is a familiar text. Uh, You've read over this multiple times, maybe coming across this in your Bible studies or or devotional times, and you've read this text uh, maybe maybe even hundreds of times. Maybe you've heard this preached before in a different church or a different setting. You've heard this uh, proclaimed to you. Well, for you, if you've answered yes to those two statements, I give you an out. You can tune out right now. You can play some backgammon on your phone or chess or whatever it may be. Uh, but only if you've got forgiven nailed de- forgiveness nailed down. But for the rest of us that continue to hold grudges, for us that, ha- that have hatred towards another, for us that have fractured relationships in this world, for us that look at certain individuals that we work with or neighbors on our street or people in politics or family members, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, if you desire change, then this message might be for you. And my hope and prayer is that we as a church will live this out, that we will be awakened by the Spirit to live out the character of Christ by way of forgiveness. 
So let's pray another time here and then jump into the text. Jesus, we come before you in this massive, enormous text. This call on us to forgive. And I, I pray, Jesus, that you'll that you'll touch the hearts of those that are hurting, that you'll touch the hearts of those that are kind of holding in something in their heart that are, they're just not willing to let go of. And if they're here today, Lord, or if they're listening online, I pray that you will affect change in them for it is so good to, to have you release and absorb that for their sake and for your glory. And so I just pray uh, as they listen and hear uh, your word uh, that, uh, that you, Spirit, will do the work of change in their hearts and that we will become a people of forgiveness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the outline is on the screen there. It is uh, for us really quick. It's five points this morning. So forgiveness is a lifestyle. Forgiveness absorbs. Forgiveness is merciful. Forgiveness is to be replicated. And forgiveness is commanded of us. You can see the text of Scripture that I pulled that from. And we're going to walk through that together. And then we'll close with a prayer. And then we'll head out and enjoy the smoky weather out there. So this summer series has been jumping around into text of Scripture all over the Scripture. We've been in Chronicles, we've been in Matthew a handful of times, we've been in Jeremiah, and now here we're finding ourselves again in Matthew. And all of these stories, all these different texts of Scripture actually all point to the story of God, and this is no different. Like last week we talked about fasting and, and having the true fast out of Isaiah 58. And the true fast is stopping wickedness, stopping oppression, clothing the people that need clothes and taking in the homeless into your own house. That's the true fast. It wasn't to just stop eating, but it was actually to go and minister. This is the true fast, and this is no different. See, without forgiveness and the understanding of what we have been forgiven, the true fast will be about the wrong kingdom. And it's no different here for forgiveness. See, like I mentioned last week, we must remember the order of things. Incredibly important is the order. All the way back, and there's order within the scriptures. Right at the beginning, God created. Why did he start there? Because we needed to understand that we are after an eternal being. We're not before, we're not equal to, we're after. And so God created us. He gave us purpose. He breathed breath into our lungs before we did anything for him. See, we were called to honor him, period. We're called to honor him, period. That's the order. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is the one that created. He gave us life. He gave us purpose to go and be fruitful and multiply, multiply and he does all of these things for us. And the story goes, as we all know, is that we failed this order. We failed. We, we devised our own kingdom, a kingdom of self, and we wanted to do things our own way. And so we rebelled against the order of creation and created a kingdom of self. But in all of our brokenness and rebellion, God still made a way through Jesus. To, give, to forgive us our sin, our enormous debt. Through Jesus is the way of life and only this way 
It is good and right and will lead to eternal life with God. The surrender and belief upon Jesus for your salvation is the means of forgiveness, the mercy, the absorption of the debt we owe. It's by way of Jesus. See, without understanding this, your forgiveness towards another will be hamstrung when it comes to the depth of it. You may be a forgiving person, but without Jesus, without the recognition of of the order of creation, you will be hamstrung in your forgiveness. It will ultimately terminate on you. And this leads to our first point. Number one, forgiveness is a lifestyle. See, forgiveness is a lifestyle only when we understand our identity and position in the created order. Unless you're a narcissist, of course, and that you do no wrong. Maybe all of us, like we understand a little bit, unless you're obviously a narcissist, you believe that you are wrong, that you you have done wrong, that you believe that you're broken and there's a debt to be paid. You understand this. See, the Apostle Peter was this guy, not the narcissist, uh, but the guy who knew about making mistakes. Maybe this is why he desired so deeply to, to be right with Jesus, to be right with others, to, to strive for this. He understood his brokenness, especially towards Jesus. See, at the time of this text, Peter was wanting to learn from his rabbi. He was wanting to learn from his teacher in Jesus. And Jesus, again, here is speaking uh, to his disciples. And training them in righteousness. Trying to help them understand forgiveness. All the way back to actually verse 3, he starts speaking. Peter is the first one that interrupts. And he asks a question. But the thing is, it's coming from a question based on other rabbis teaching in this time. See, the other rabbis are teaching in this time, theologians say, is that other rabbis were teaching that it was three times and then on the fourth time, then you don't need to forgive. And rabbis were teaching this, forgive, 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 don't need to forgive any longer. And so Peter, wanting to be a good disciple of Jesus, this, his teacher, he comes to him with this amazing question, but he's going, I want to please Jesus. I want to do, I want to do far beyond. I want to, I want to go above and beyond whatever is out there. So I'm going to double that number and add one, and I'm going to bring it to number seven, the perfect number. And he comes to Jesus and he says this, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And he's probably thinking, this is probably a really sweet, this is probably what Jesus is looking for. And Jesus responds, I do not say to you seven times, Peter, but 77 times. See, this would have blown Peter back. It would have shocked him 77 times, Jesus. Jesus wasn't merely going for shock factor though, but, but he wanted Peter to realize the number is insignificant. Forgiveness is a matter of the heart. Jesus desired a character of forgiveness. This is what he's teaching his disciples and us included. A character of of forgiveness. See, it's not about the amount. For this time, 78. If you sin against me 78 times, then I'm not going to forgive you. If you sin against me three times, the fourth time, nothing. It's not about that. That's ridiculous. But the character, it's the lifestyle of forgiveness is what Jesus is calling Peter and us, the church, to aim for. 
You see, when forgiveness is a part of you, no longer is it about what the person does and the vengeance you can enact upon them. It is all about how we can make things right again, knowing the answer is Jesus. See, when our character becomes a character of forgiveness, you begin to desire things that align with the Lord. This is what comes out of you. You start desiring what the Lord wants of you. You begin to desire things like restoration and renewal and redemption, like freedom. You, you desire freedom for others. So this is the first point. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of character. So let's keep going. Forgiveness also absorbs. Verse 23, it says this again, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So Jesus breaks into a parable, a story of sorts, with a main point behind it to help his disciples, but this one is filled with points that we can learn from, to help settle accounts with his servants. See, before forgiveness takes place, there's a required understanding. This is why I went back to the order. Acquired understanding that there has been a wrong that has taken place. There needs to be settling. There needs to be settling of accounts. See, there is a kingdom to be honored with laws, commands, and statutes to be held with honor and justice. And in this kingdom, when things aren't being held in check, there is a king that will, on a certain day, settle accounts. On a certain day, the king of this kingdom will settle accounts to make what was wrong to be right. And friends, each of us live in this kingdom. Each one of us. As we desire those around us to live righteously, the king above us desires of us the same. We got it from our king. We got it from our creator. He created us in his image, it says in Genesis. So then, wouldn't we then have a character like Jesus if we're imaging him? Of course we would. I say forgiveness absorbs because someone has to absorb the payment required for the wrong done. This is our point, right? And we get this. Forgiveness absorbs. Like if I were to lend Johnny my truck, right? You can write this down, Johnny. If I were to write Johnny, Johnny loves trucks, but he's a horrible driver because he's from Scotland. Right, Johnny? Kind of, no. Anyway, so Johnny goes and uses my truck and he bangs in the front bumper and then he backs up and he bangs in the back bumper and he comes back to me and he brings me the keys and he goes, hey, Jared, thanks for the use of your truck. Think of a, a accent. Thanks for the use of a truck. And I, I'm banged up the bumpers, the front and the back, but aren't those what they're used for? Like, aren't, they're called bumpers to bump things, right? So, like, it's fine. There's just a bunch of marks. Here's the keys. Someone has to absorb that payment. Whether when you sell the truck, eventually someone's going to go, I'm not going to buy that truck. Look at the bumpers. They're all mungled up. So someone has to absorb that. Let me give you a more serious offense. What about the woman who has been raped and later on finds out that she's pregnant? And unfortunately, I've counseled these two next examples. And she lives for the next 16 years putting blame on her son. 
because of the shame and the hurt that she experienced. And every time she sees her son, she remembers that incident. And then that son can't handle it anymore, so he moves away at 16 and repeats the cycle. Or what about those who have been abused sexually as children and then enter on into marriage and live in that shame and that guilt of being defiled and sinned against in a deep, deep way? And then now in marriage, they are holding, withholding intimacy because they are confused on what that actually means in a healthy manner. See, someone eventually has to absorb the cost of the bumper. Someone eventually has to absorb the cost of the rape. Someone eventually has to absorb the cost of the abuse. One author put it this way, forgiveness requires either the one who has sinned must make amends or the one who has been sinned against must bear the pain and loss himself. The offense can't be minimized or ignored. So forgiveness is a lifestyle of character. Forgiveness is absorbing the penalty. And we also learn from Jesus in this amazing parable that forgiveness is merciful. Verses 24 to 27 it says this, when, the, when, the, when he, the king, began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. See, as I'm sure you've heard, if you've heard this sermon or, or this text preached before, you've heard the payment this sermon owed the king was massive. It was enormous. It was out of control. Uh, some theologians actually say that that word of the 10,000 talents is the largest number of the time in that vocabulary. So it was like equivalent to us saying, you owe me a trillion dollars. You understand the word trillion, but you also understand there's absolutely no way I can pay that off in this lifetime, let alone 10 lifetimes. This is the debt. See, for this king to wipe this debt clean would have shocked everyone present. It would have been a conversation this man would have never forgotten. This man literally owed the life of his family, every possession he had, his life. Forgiveness like this could only be understood as mercy. See, this again is a character trait that Jesus is instructing his disciples toward. Not merely forgiving others three times, seven times or 77 times, but to grant mercy when all are expected of you to exact judgment. See, it is remembering again your story, broken, ashamed, sinful, an enemy of God, and he being of great mercy died for us. How could we ever repay this debt? See, and this I think is the very problem with this servant. See, if you look intently into that text, he has forgotten who he is standing before. He's forgotten that he's standing before the king. And he owes the king a massive debt. An unpayable debt. 
The servant, servant doesn't have a heart change, but is filled with pride. And we know that as we continue to read the story. See, I say this for a few reasons. Three, to be exact. He thinks he, number one, is he thinks he can pay it off. We see this in 26a, the very first part of 26. It says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, the second servant says the same thing. Right? But that payment is actually doable. It's a number that actually you could reach and you could actually pay off. It's a significant number, but it's one that the servant could actually pay. This one, he's delusional. There's no way he can pay this off. He's filled with pride at this point. See, thinking... Let me say this. Fill in with pride. Aren't we a little bit the same? Aren't we a little bit delusional when it comes to our debt? And we forget, that's why we need to come to church every Sunday morning to be reminded of this amazing debt that has been paid. See, thinking we can pay our, our way to heaven on our own merit by going to church, by reading our Bibles, by going to Bible study, by helping other people, thinking your payment is paid because of that? We really think we can pay off our lives, evil looks, lustful thoughts with being kind? Like this servant, we owe our entire life and family. There is no possible way we can pay this debt. It's a trillion dollars. It requires your life. Secondly, I say it comes from pride because he has no mercy on his fellow servant. See, this reveals the heart. He appreciated the payment, believed he was set free, but without any sanctification or change in life. He had no change in him. See, he went back to his old habits instantly. And it's equivalent to us saying that we're a Christian. Uh, Me saying I'm a follower of Jesus, but yet not following him from Monday through Saturday. There's There's no outflow of what I've experienced. There's no outflow of my belief, my faith. I say I have faith, but I have no works. Right? James chapter 2 talks of this. There's no outflow of the expression, what you say. I believe in Jesus Christ for my salvation, but I'm going to do completely anything I want throughout the week. It's equivalent to that. You can't say, I forgive you, and then continue to do the unforgiving thing like the servant did. And we see this in the text. He has no mercy on his fellow servant. See, again, are we any different? Forgetting the love of Jesus, we harm one another, don't we? We wrong one another. We lie, we steal, we lust and covet, harming ourselves and others, all the while our debt has been paid. Lastly, I say it comes from pride because the king has pity on him. See, we didn't know, but it seems as if the king pities this man, even though his heart is in the wrong place. He still forgives him. This is a hard one to understand, but, but it sure sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Like Romans 5, verses 6, 8, and 10, while you were an enemy, while you were weak, while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He paid your penalty. 
Now there's a road of sanctification. There's a change in us when we recognize that, when we believe it, when our eyes are open, when our heart is transformed to understand and believe upon this for our faith. And we change. There's a transformation. We become one, like one degree of change to the next, just like 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks of. We're being sanctified. But here, there is no change. And the king pities him. See, true forgiveness is at a level of the heart. It requires change. It requires great mercy for the one who absorbs it and an action of change for the one who receives it. So forgiveness is a lifestyle of character. Forgiveness is absorbing the penalty. Forgiveness is mercy to those indebted to you. And then Jesus calls those who have ears to hear to replicate this forgiveness. This is the action for each one of us, 28 to 33, says, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Going back If you read through all of chapter 8, this would be going back to verse 15. If you see a brother in sin, go to him. So you have fellow servants going back to the king, you wicked, and the king saying, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? See, the replication of mercy is incredibly hard to do. And we've all experienced this. This is this is incredibly hard to do. See, sure, it is easy at times to forgive someone a debt. But when you are in a position of power and rightly are owed, how do you respond? See, in this parable, the servant that was forgiven much failed miserably. What has it been like for you when someone steals from you? When someone lies to you, when, when cheated against, physically, emotionally, sexually, how have you responded? You are rightly in the position of power at that moment. How are we enacting forgiveness rather than judgment? See, church, in order for us to forgive rightly, we must recognize the kingdom that we live in. It goes back to the order. This is not our kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. See, we first must see that each one of us owes a debt that cannot be paid. The debt was paid with blood and it wasn't yours. Jesus absorbed our penalty upon himself. See, the debt freed us from slavery that we don't deserve. See, I've heard it said, never are you more like God when you forgive. And never are you less like God when you don't. So how do we plan on replicating our king today with the mercy we have already received by way of Jesus our Lord? He forgave us an enormous debt. How are we now to forgive others? Seek reconciliation. Aim for it. It says it in 2 Corinthians. See, forgiveness starts first with you before ever being wronged. We all started with a debt to be paid. We entered this world that way. 
Have you received the mercy and forgiveness of the Lord is the question you want to ask yourself. Have you received that mercy? Have you believed upon Jesus for salvation? Then you have a job to fulfill. You are to forgive 77 times. You are to forgive trillions. You have to have a character of forgiveness. So lastly, forgiveness is commanded of us in verse 34 to 35. And I'll close with this. It says this, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father, and this is a sobering verse. Jesus breaks out of the parable at this point. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So let's get practical here. Let's get practical. What does forgiveness look like practically in our lives? See, forgiveness from the heart is what Jesus is looking for. Without this type of forgiveness, we will experience the perfect justice from the Lord, according to this last verse. So like into salvation, we can't merely say we believe in Jesus and have no change in our lives. The belief from the heart produces fruit. And belief at the heart level is what Jesus is looking for. So in other words, there must be change in our life. He's looking for fruit. Over and over, you'll see this over and over, as, especially through the Gospels. You'll see their fruit. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for a heart level change. So forgiveness is a lifestyle of character. Forgiveness is absorbing the penalty. Forgiveness is merciful to those indebted to you. Forgiveness is to be replicated and is a command. So how do we do this? What are the practical steps? Well, let me summarize forgiveness by using words from Tim Lane, an author and pastor. It's on the screen there. He gives us some really clear, easy points to enact this, to practice this. So forgiveness is threefold. When you forgive someone, you number one, you absorb the cost of the offense committed against you. Secondly, you cancel the debt. And thirdly, you make a threefold promise. And that promise goes like this. I promise I will not bring up this offense again or use it against you. Secondly, I promise I will not bring it up to others and gossip or malign you because of it. And thirdly, I promise I will not bring it up to myself and dwell on this offense. This is the threefold covenant that you make as you forgive someone. This is how Jesus forgives us. See, he goes on to say, failure to forgive breaks these promises. When we choose not to forgive, we choose to make the other person pay for what he or she has done. And when you do that way, when you withhold forgiveness, you flip those five points. You begin to, this reveals of your lifestyle, of character. This shows a hardened kingdom of self. This shows a lack of mercy. This reveals the replication of Satan rather than God. And this shows there is no desire to follow the commands of God. You outrightly disobey a command of God when you don't forgive. And that ought to shake us a little bit. See, that's what unforgiveness reveals. So church, may we be a faithful people. May we be faithful in our forgiveness as we have been faithfully forgiven. Amen? May we be like this. May we be like Jesus in this action. That that's why we have a cross up here. 
to remind us every Sunday that Jesus came to pay the penalty that we deserve, to wipe out the penalty, to take away sin and death that we might live if we believe upon him for our salvation. He shed his blood to forgive our debt. If that's the case, I want to do whatever I can to serve him. Let's pray. Jesus, help us fight for freedom. Help us fight for reconciliation. Help us recognize what we have been paid that we might freely go and forgive those that are, we have wrongs with. Lord, keep us from sin. Teach us to walk cautiously Help us guard our minds against doctrinal errors, our hearts against wrong feelings, and our lives against evil actions. May we never speak rashly or give in to anger. Above all, keep us from covetousness, which is idolatry, and from malice, which is of the devil. Grant us to be full of sweetness and light. May love dwell within us and reign over us. May we not focus solely on our own interests, but also consider the needs of others. Help us live for Jesus. Help us live for you, Jesus. For there is no life like it. Assist us in becoming men and women of Christ, wholly belonging to him. May every aspect of our lives reflect the light we receive from him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.